Okay, cool. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining. Yeah. I hope you uh, had a had a great reinvent so far and uh, enjoyed the party. But uh, you still made it here. That's good. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I guess you all know that it's really easy to sell products online, right? So everybody's doing that. Everybody's buying products online. Um, you're probably building an e-commerce application or part of a team. Um, but you might be wondering if there's a better way to engage with users. And also, you might be offering more options, right? People can customize basically everything. Yeah, you can mass customize basically all products. Uh, so you need to find a good way to visualize this and to engage with the users. And that's what we're going to talk about. So I'm Christoph Kassen. I'm a solutions architect with AWS. And this is Claudio. He's from uh, Mux. And we're going to talk about 3D configurators. So um, we'll share what is a 3D configurator anyway. Uh, and what kind of technology do you need, or what kind of technology can you use to build such a thing? Then we're going to talk about how you can put this on top of AWS instances. And then we'll share some architecture diagrams for you, how you integrate this into your existing architecture. Because most of you will not be building this from scratch, right? You have an e-commerce application where you sell stuff, so you need to integrate it. And then Claudio will talk about uh, what they've been doing at Mux, and he'll share their learnings, what they learned over the last couple of years building a 3D configurator for their products. So you'll see, um, see that as well. Um, we're going to talk a bit um, deeper, uh, so it's level 400. So if you think this might be too technical or too early, it's fine if you, if you head out. Um, and you should have a basic understanding of 3D visualization. Uh, so, but I guess most of you have played a 3D video game on a gaming console, so you'll know what 3D is and how that works in, in, uh, in uh, theory. Um, so let's dive in. Uh, what is a 3D configurator, and why do we want to build this? Right? So you might have already seen one. Uh, if you go to a car manufacturer's website, so if you want to buy a new car, they'll give you all these options. Right? You select the color, the wheels, and then they show you the interior as well. And you can spin around the car um, so you get a good impression of what the car you will buy will look like. You can do the same for, for fashion. Uh, you can customize a handbag. You can customize shoes. When you can also do it for furniture. That's what these guys are doing. Um, so that's what we're going to focus on. So if I want to buy this, this couch for my apartment, I can, of course, I need to get the right size. Yeah, it needs to fit in my apartment. Uh, it needs to be big enough so I can uh, seat all the people I want to sit there. Um, I can choose the material. I can choose the color. All kinds of things uh, that I can customize. And if I can do that as a customizer, uh, as a customer, then it's much easier for me to, to visualize the final product. And then I'm much more likely to say, OK, this is a good product. This is what I want. And I know what I'll be getting. So I'll just go ahead and buy it. Uh, so we get a visualization of the final product. And that makes it just easier for me um, to go ahead and buy. You want to do this, obviously, with uh, server-side rendering, because you want to control the quality. Yeah? It needs to be magazine-like quality. It needs to look really, really nice. So you need to be able to control this across all the devices your users might be using. Yeah? They might be using a very old smartphone, or they might be using a tablet. You still want to have the same quality for your rendered images everywhere. You also want to control the rendering speed. Yeah? It shouldn't be slow just because the device is slow. So you want to serve the images as fast as possible to users. Because we all know if the website is slow, people drop out of the e-commerce process, and then you just use, uh, lose revenue. And you want to control the cost. So you want to have a rendering fleet where you can scale up and down um, based on, on the demand. And if people are asleep, you don't need all the, the rendering power, so you can turn down, down those instances. Um, so it makes sense to do that on the server side. In terms of rendering technology, we have basically two options we can choose. First off is something called rasterizer. Uh, this is what a 3D game typically uses. It's composing the scene, the, the, the animations out of vectors and polygons. And then 
it's just pushing out millions of these polygons, um, and that's what's uh, up on the screen. All right. It's very, very um, complex to build this, and that's why people use OpenGL or DirectX to build these game engines uh, to make it easier for them to apply things like shaders to um, the polygons to make the, the image look really nice. And this is also the original use case for GPUs. Uh, they have been invented for specifically this type of 3D engine to speed up all the calculations necessary um, to create nice 3D images. Uh, that was the original use case why have they been invented. The other option we can have is r something called ray tracing. Now, this is what you see when you go to a movie and see the latest Disney or, or Pixar movie, or if you see a blockbuster with all the CGI animations, then it's coming out of a ray tracer. Um, and the way is, this works is you basically model your 3D scene, so you place your objects in there, you put light in there, and you, then you place a camera in there. And from this camera, tracers are sent out through the scene, and then they bounce back off the object, and that creates the resulting image. Uh, and then um, you just move the camera around, and that gives you the, the animation. The biggest advantage is it's photorealistic images we get out of this. Uh, it's really hard to tell if this is a photograph or if this is coming out of a ray tracer. Uh, so it's very, very good um, for our use case uh, because we want to have photorealistic images of our products uh, so to make them look cool. Um, the calculations necessary, massive, uh, so very slow usually, but we all know GPUs can do much more than just do 3D um, animations. Uh, they can do all kinds of things. Uh, we can use them for machine learning, but we can also use them to speed up this ray tracing process. Uh, so if the ray tracer is capable of utilizing something like CUDA, then we can offload all the calculations to our GPU, and then we massively speed up the rendering process. Uh, so it's fast enough for, for our use case. So how do you do this on, on AWS then? Uh, so what we offer is we offer GPU instances. Uh, we offer the P3 instance family and the G3 instance family. The P3 is based on the um, Volta architecture, um, so that's the, the latest and greatest uh, coming, coming out of uh, NVIDIA. And then there's also the G3 instances, and you'll see in, in a couple minutes why there's a difference. Um, they're based on the Maxwell architecture, so it's a different microarchitecture inside, inside the GPUs. And then you can just select if you want one or up to eight GPUs or one or up to four for GPUs. And then they have plenty of uh, CPU capacity and plenty of memory in there as well. So these are really, really powerful, powerful machines um, we can use to, to build this configurator. Another option is that we use something called Elastic GPU. Uh, we might not need the full power of these super, um, uh, super uh, GPUs. We might just need a bit of GPU power uh, because we have some application, let's say, we're not rendering the, the final picture of the product, but we're trying to render the assembly instructions for our couch. Uh, but we want to still have a 3D visualization of the product in there. So we can use the Elastic GPU because that is allows us to run a smaller instance. Now we can just run a T2 instance or an M4 and still attach a GPU instance um, to that. It happens over the network, and it's currently Windows only, and keep that in mind, it only supports OpenGL 4.2. So there is no CUDA acceleration or OpenCL or DirectX at the moment. So you need to make sure that your 3D engine, whatever you pick, is capable of running in OpenGL mode, and then maybe force it to, to actually utilize that and not fall back to software rendering. Also, as you can see on the picture, the Elastic GPU is attached over the network. So keep that in mind, because it consumes an additional IP address in your VPC subnets. So if you want to run this, make sure your VPC subnets are big enough, because otherwise you run out of IP addresses. To conserve bandwidth, the rendering happens at 25 frames per second maximum. So keep that in mind as well. And you can um, edit the driver's configuration file and then show a frame counter. So you can see if you're rendering at the 25 frames or if you're significantly below that. Then it might make sense to upgrade to a big, bigger elastic GPU. 
And if you want to check what kind of capabilities they support, there's tools like the, the Caps Viewer where you can see what kind of capabilities are supported by, by the driver at the moment. So now that we've seen the options, how do you choose now? So the P3, super good for machine learning and all kinds of simulations, calculations, where you really benefit from the huge number of CUDA cores in there. Um, so if, if you have this type of workload, go for the P3s. If you're running a ray tracer, go for the P3s as well. The G3s, on the other hand, since they're based on a, on a different um, microarchitecture, they're better suited for 3D visualizations and 3D renderings, or anything that's OpenGL or DirectX, that's supposed to be faster on, on, the, on the G3s based on the um, GPU in there. And as I said, the Elastic GPUs, if you want to have GPU capabilities you're in your instance, but it's just a smaller use case uh, where performance is not that critical and you're just running OpenGL, then it's also a good option to go with the Elastic GPUs because then you run small instances, you save cost, um, <clears throat> and that's also a good thing, right? So now let's take a look at what do we need to build to integrate this into, into our web application stack. So we want to build a rendering API that acts as the interface between our renderer and the rest of our application stack. We have an application stack. can be monolithic application. can be a set of microservices where we want to integrate this. Then, of course, we need to decide what kind of rendering technology do we want to use and what kind of software is out there that we can use. We, of course, also want to have a 3D model, right? We need to have something which we can render. And we need a way to change this model so that the configuration changes the user makes are reflected in the model so that we can render the updated, updated images. We also might want to in, add in some, some caching because the user might just press reload accidentally. There is no need to re-render the image over and over again just because of this. So we want to want to add some caching, caching in there as well. We want to have real-time or near real-time rendering, as I said before, and we want to have really high-quality quality images. So let's take a look at the rendering, what we can use. So for rasterizers, there's, for example, the Unity 3D game engine. Uh, it's quite popular, and that's, that's an option you can use. There's also Amazon Lumberyard. It's also a rasterizer. That would be another option um, to consider um, for building this. In terms of ray tracers, there's a huge option of commercial options available. Um, there's one from NVIDIA and, and all kinds of other tools. But there's also Blender, which is an open source uh, project. And they have a renderer called Cycles, which is very good. And uh, I used Cycles to, to render the, the image you see here. Uh, so I just picked up a model and then um, just, just ran that, um, and that created this image. So, then we need to decide how do we pick up the image in the end, right? We can always write it to disk and serve it somehow from there. Um, we might also just want to grab the frame buffer of the operating system and just pull out the images um, from there. Or if we want, depending on the, on the engine we, we use, we can also build a native integration so we can directly push out the images back over the HTTP connection to, to our user. That kind of depends on what technology you pick. Writing to file is probably, probably the easiest. So if you want to just get started with, uh, with Blender, it's actually pretty easy. Uh, you just spin up a GPU instance, for example, um, and then you can just run Blender from the command line. Yeah? Just provide the model file where to write the output, and then you need to provide this little Python snippet you see above to ensure that it's actually forced into GPU mode. So that's what I'm doing here. So I'm setting up circles to run um, on the GPU, utilize CUDA, and then I'm setting up the tile size for, for optimal rendering speed. And that's it. And then you can just go ahead and, and render the image. You'll get a resulting frame on disk, and then you can serve that back to your users. So the architecture can look like this. Requests come in, and then they'll hit CloudFront so we can have caching at the edge locations already. Uh, we can also use CloudFront to redirect certain requests to pre-rendered images, static assets, these kind of things. Uh, so these requests are already really fast. 
We just have our existing fleet of services, our uh, e-commerce application, probably sitting behind an application load balancer, and most likely within an auto-scaling group, um, so we can scale up and down depending on traffic. And then what we do is we add our fleet of GPU instance in there, and they host our rendering API as well. So the render and the rendering API, we can just host those on the GPU instances. And then we can make calls from our application to our rendering API and get served images. What we can also do is we can put in the network load balancer because then we're not sending the images back over CloudFront, which would be good because then we have, have caching already built in. But it might be faster to use something called HTTP2 push, which directly streams the image back to the user. And we can do that if we add in the network load balancer, because that's a TCP-level load balancer, and that allows us to do exactly that. But of course, then we need to add in caching in our rendering API, because we lose that capability um, there. Uh, but that's something you can just add to, to the rendering API. If you say, OK, I'm not that interested in Ray Tracer. I have a smaller use case. I want to go with the rasterizer. Maybe you want to also use that for, for batch processing. But for the web architecture, this is simpler then. Uh, we still have CloudFront. We want to have the caching. Um, we get that other box with CloudFront. We can still serve pre-rendered images. And we just have a fleet of instances, and we attach the Elastic GPU to these instances. And then we just run, for example, Unity on, on these machines, and then we render the, the images there. If you're running this, you need to obviously monitor this. So for the GPU instances, the driver comes with a tool called NVIDIA SMI, and you can use that to monitor your GPUs. The Elastic GPUs, they push their metrics to CloudWatch automatically, so you can pick them up there. You can also add custom CloudWatch metrics. So you can just measure the time it takes to render an image within your rendering API and push that to CloudWatch. And then you have additional metrics there to monitor and also to set up your auto-scaling rules on those metrics. And auto-scaling, as, as usual, always scale up aggressively. Uh, don't add a single instance, add multiple. And then scaling down, always scale down slowly so you're not overwhelmed um, by, the, by the requests. This is how it looks like if, if you push custom metric to CloudWatch. This is what happened while I was rendering the, the image I shared um, before. So you see all the GPUs in that GPU instance were fully utilized for just the two minutes the rendering took, and then they were back, back idle again. Oh. And now I could go ahead and, and build alarms on this and monitor my fleet of GPU instances. And it's actually pretty easy to do that. Uh, it's just a couple lines of code, and since the slides are posted, you can just copy-paste it afterwards. Um, but all I'm doing is I'm just running NVIDIA SMI. I'm querying for the utilization of my GPU and the memory utilization. And then I'm parsing that data. I'm pulling out the instance ID. And then uh, with the two last lines, I'm just pushing the, those metrics to CloudWatch. And then I just set it up to run continuously on that machine, and then I'm good to go. Uh, very easy, um, but very effective. A couple other things you want to do if you run GPU instances, NVIDIA, because the NVIDIA SMI tool is capable of much more. You can disable the auto-boost feature these GPUs have. And you want to do that for some obvious reasons. You, know, you want to have maximum speed, and you want to have predictable latency in your rendering. So you can just disable that feature. And you can also make sure that the GPUs always run at maximum clock speed. So these are, are the commands um, in there. Um, you can persist these settings. But if you're auto-scaling, you want to apply this on, on every um, instance creation, obviously. So the last thing I, I want to give you um, is, let's call it a circuit breaker. Think of the situation where your marketing team decides to run a TV campaign, or you're featured somewhere. Um, and suddenly, 
a lot of users come to your store and start browsing around. Now you want to have a way to, yeah, somehow handle this traffic. Uh, the the auto-scaling kicks in, but it needs a bit of time. Um, maybe you also hit the limit of your auto-scaling group, so you would need 20 in it, uh, instances, but you only allow 10. So what we can do is, since we're already sending traffic through CloudFront, we can utilize something called Lambda at the Edge. If, if you know that, um, it's, a, it's an Edge function, so it's a Lambda function which is called at the Edge locations, so very close to the user. And we can integrate this um, into our architecture. So whenever the request comes in, we can call this Lambda function automatically. And then within this Lambda function, we can do network requests. And that allows us to call a metrics endpoint on our rendering API. And we can expose if we're overloaded or if we consider our GPU fleet to be overloaded or if we just say, OK, I don't want to live render this. And we can serve that back to the um, Lambda function. And then CloudFront will simply rewrite the request. So that's a very good way to automatically um, handle this. Because then in certain situations, you can just serve pre-rendered images to users. They will not immediately see that. But it gives you time to react, to spin up more instances. Or maybe people are just browsing around and won't buy anything at all. So they see a shop, um, they know about your product, and then they happily leave um, because they go to the next website anyway. And um, that's actually pretty easy to do. Uh, it's just a couple lines of JavaScript code we need. So all I need is this simple Lambda function. I'm simply calling my metrics endpoint, and here it's just something which returns JSON. Then I just parse this JSON, and I just check if the overloaded flag is set to true. And I can decide freely um, when I will consider it to be overloaded. Uh, so that's something where you can decide on, on certain rules. And then all I do is simply rewrite the request. This is completely transparent to the user. The user does not see this. So I can either serve a pre-rendered image, send them to a different page, um, and that's it. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very good way to handle this automatically. And with that, I'd like to hand over to Claudio, who will now share what Mix has been building. Thanks. All right, hi, everybody. Um, I'm Claudio. I'm, I'm the CTO of, of Mix. <coughs> Sorry. And we sell furniture, modular furniture, that you can customize yourself. And that way, you can build your own shelf, wardrobe, couch, and, and, and so on. And we do this by offering 3D online configurators that works in real time, and, and you, you get a photorealistic representation of what you're building. And because it's, it, it's modular, it allows you to have a, a, high, a big variety of, of products that, that you can build. And uh, since it, it is modular, we have all the, the, the pieces in our warehouse, which allows us to have a, a very short time um, lead times. Uh, which is not common in, in, in the furniture industry. And it also makes uh, our furniture affordable for a premium quality. So let's talk now about the 3D configurators. Um, what, what I want to present you is our experience so far that we have collected over three and a half years, more or less, building 3D uh, configurators that are basically um, generating uh, server-side uh, renderings. Uh, we are using ray tracers, uh, as Christopher already uh, mentioned, uh, and everything is on, on, on Amazon. And at the end, uh, uh, I will share with you our lessons that, that we have learned over this time. So when it comes to configurators, you have two major challenges that you are going to face. On one side, you want a high level of um, interactivity. You want the users to be able to, to choose every part, and in our case, furniture, highlight sections, change the materials, sizes, and, and so on. But at the same time, you, you want to offer to your users a photorealistic representation of, of 
what you're selling in, in the case of an e-commerce platform. And, <clears throat> and both things, they don't necessarily work perfectly uh, together. You, you have to either decide for one or, or the other and, and find compromises in, in between. So if you want photorealistic representations, you, you will have to go with server-side renderings. And uh, if you want a high level of, of interactivity, you, you go with a client-side solution, which nowadays is, is WebGL, which you run in, in your browser. To give you a feeling, what I'm talking about, this is one of our couches that we sell rendered in WebGL. As you can see, it, it is extremely glossy and, and looks like a, uh, some 3D object from, from a game from, from the mid-90s. Um, and that's not necessarily something that you, you, you want to show your, to your customers, especially in, 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 in the industry of furniture. It's a rather expensive product, so you really want to communicate the quantity and, and, and give the user this, uh, the, the right look and feeling of, of what they might be uh, buying. So if you render exactly the same image, with the, the, the same scene, the same 3D, 3D geometries and, and, and textures, materials, this is what you get from a server-side um, Renderer, uh, it looks much better, uh, especially for fabrics. They are extremely difficult to represent with WebGL. There are a few other uh, situations where, when, when you have very glossy, high reflective uh, surfaces, that you you, you can uh, you, where you can use WebGL and, and it's going to look okay. Uh, but if you have fabrics where you have different colors and shadings depending from uh, on, on your light settings, that, that's something that you will probably not be, be able to manage with, with WebGL. <clears throat> so when, when we started the company, we, 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 we had this challenge. Do we go with high interactivity or photorealism? And, and we know, or we knew back then that uh, from, from our customers, potential customers, that the, the, the photorealism was a very important aspect of uh, our, our online product. So we decided to go with server-side renderings and uh, when we did that three and a half years ago, more or less, uh, we defined a set of goals of, of things that we wanted to achieve with, with uh, such a solution. So we said that every image has to arrive within two seconds after any user interaction. So that the user clicks on apply a, a new or select a new wood type and, and apply it to my, I don't know, like a, a wall of, of your shelf, in two seconds, it, it has to be there. You, we wanted to have a progressive stream of images. Uh, I'm going to go deeper into that uh, later. But basically, you, you, you get, you get on, on first click, a, a very low quality image that, goes, that, that, that um, improves o over the time. Uh, you, we still wanted to offer a high degree of interactivity. That, that, that's uh, absolutely needed to, 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 have a, to offer a good user experience. Uh, Cross-device compatibility, it's also important, especially three years ago, four years, WebGL was not supported as good as it is now on, on mobile devices, and it has to be scalable and, and affordable. Uh, at the same time, we, we were, of course, also aware that server-side renderings, they're not really meant to be, or they're not optimized for real-time uh, applications. They're right used for interior designers, architects, simulations, where, where, where time is not that big of an issue as uh, an application that runs on your browser. Uh, because you just get plain images, PNGs, J JPEGs, it's difficult to add interaction to those images. How do you select a leg from your, your, your couch if you just have an image and, and you highlight specifically that leg, for instance? Um, also, doing server-side renderings, and if you really go into the topic of, of, of renderers, the, the, the learning curve is steeper than using a common WebGL library such as Babylon.js, FreeJS, and, and, and so on. And GPU machines are expensive. So you want to make sure that you utilize them in a very efficient way. So when we talk about server-side uh, renderings, we also talk about ray tracers. The, Ray tracers are a way to simulate in a photorealistic uh, quality uh, images. So the way it works is that, it's that you define a... Um, do you have a pointer? So you... Uh, 
I cannot see the pointer there. So you, you define an image over there, and, and, and you define the, the, the size of the image and width and height, and for each pixel, you throw a, a ray through it, and once it collides with, with, on your scene with any 3D geometry, or, or maybe it might not even collide with something, it takes into account all the um, other um, geometries and, and, and light settings and, and, and so on into account, and that's a calculation for that specific pixel, what is the color I need or I should use for, for in, in that case. And, and, and that you do it for every pixel. Uh, and it's a very efficient uh, algorithm uh, that runs quite, quite fast and, and generates extremely good-looking images. So this is something that, that you can generate server-side. Uh, it's showcasing one of our couches and, 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 and one of our tables that you can configure on, on, on the website. And uh, yeah, the stuff we we were consuming while we were building this. <laughs> uh, so let, let's talk now about AWS GPUs and, and how, how we put this uh, together. <clears throat> when it comes to server-side renderings, uh, it's always a matter between speed and making it scalable and, 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 and affordable. GPU machines are among the most expensive one on, on, on Amazon. Right now, you, you, you can choose or take a P3 machine with, with a Tesla architecture, um, uh, v, V100. Excellent machine, extremely fast. But it's going to cost around $25 an hour. Uh, and you need at least two of, of them because you don't want to have a single point of failure. So you, 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 you want to be flexible on that. So that, that's like 35K a month for just two servers. So you, you want to make sure that you distribute and load balance your users as good as possible and, and, and that you use those resources in a very effective manner. And that has been a, a, a long journey for, uh, for us. And our first infra AWS infrastructure that we came up with looked like this. So, on the left side, we have CloudFront, Lambda, and S3, where we run our single-page application. It's built on React. Uh, at the very beginning, we didn't have Lambda. That came later. Um, then in the center, we have our microservice architecture. It's just a set of different APIs that are running on Node.js. And then on the very right, we have our auto-scaling group with our rendering farm. And, and, and that's the interesting part for, for, for us. So we're going to focus on that part of, of the architecture. And I will show you how it evolved over time and, and the challenges we, we were facing du du during this time. <clears throat> so before going in, 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 into the different infrastructures, this is how our streaming of images uh, used to work. So when we started, you only had ELBs. Uh, and as you probably know, ELBs don't support WebSocket. So that, that makes it more difficult to stream uh, uh, intermediate images. And, and the way ray tracing works is that you generate many images of, of low quality and, and, and you sample them together to get the final image that, that, that looks uh, good and photorealistic. So what we were doing is that the, the first orange line is a request to get a, a specific rendering. Um, and then we open a, a long calling col uh, connection to, to our servers to retrieve all those little images in between. So you have a progressive stream of, of, of images. So while you're rendering the image, we, we request those intermediate images. Once it, it gets back, that's the dashed uh, purple line. Uh, we display that on, on, on the client, and we send another request to, to, to get the next one, and, and, and so on and so on, until you get the final image, which we cache in between. And then, of course, you stop requesting in, in intermediate images. <clears throat> so this is how our rendering flow looked at, at the very beginning. We, we had an uh, ELB uh, in front of Varnish. We were using Varnish as a um, uh, a layer seven uh, router. It was also caching our, our, our images in memory and uh, w was working um, 
yeah, basically there was a service running on it to do a service discovery and, and, and depending on, on, on the type of the, the URL, dispatching the, the, the different requests. Then we had um, a rendering API. Those were just normal um, EC2 machines running Node, uh, a Node.js application and then go through an RELB to the rendering farm, which was inside an auto-scaling group. At that time, when, when we started, you, you only had G2 machines. As I said, this was three and a half years ago. This infrastructure had a major problem, or that at least we were facing, and, and it was chasing us for quite some time. It is difficult to distribute the, the load efficiently among all the machines. The, the, the way the ELB is working is just do, doing um, round-robin ro uh, load balancing. Uh, it, is, it works extremely good if you have a high um, level of, of, of um, uh, traffic, but not if you, you, you are uh, around 100 users uh, simultaneously uh, doing some, some, some rendering. So we ended up many times with GPU machines being idle where others were crashing because they were uh, rendering too many images in, in parallel. Uh, and so uh, w once we realized that and, 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 and we tried to find solutions for, the, for that, we, we came with, with the next version where we basically simplified our, our infrastructure and we placed all those Node.js applications inside of each of our GPU machines. Uh, that was way more efficient because each a uh, web app, uh, app um, or API was just taking care of, of, of a single uh, GPU machine. And, <clears throat> and still, it was not perfect. Um, what we realized is that the NVIDIA SMI, it, it, it's a great way to monitor the, the load of your GPUs, but it's ex it is extremely greedy. So uh, the way it works is, it tries to use every available resource to generate your image as quick as possible, which is something you want. But that means it's going to use all the GPUs, uh, GPU cores, if the settings are the right ones. It's also going to use all the CPU cores that are available on, on, on the machine. And that's just uh, one line on, uh, in the settings, which gives you a, an R, something between 10 and 20% uh, speed uh, boost. Uh, and so if you look at the metrics on, on CloudWatch, everything is at 100%, sometimes even more, or it's a 0% or close to zero. So it makes it really difficult to do, use that as a metric to know when do you want to scale up and scale down. Uh, it, it, it's quite Boolean. So um, what, what we did then is we came up with, a, we call it a, a pool of sessions. So for each machine, we decide that, and then we were doing some, some benchmarks, on, on those machines that if you have four or five renderings simultaneously running, that was okay for the machine. And then you, if you go beyond that, th th there's a high chance that, that your application is going to crash or the, the user experience that you are going to offer is, is going to be very poor. Um, at the same time, we also realized that we have different types of images that you want to generate. On, on one side, we have the configurators where you want to get the image as quick as possible in a photorealistic quality. But then you have also our kind of images, at least in our case. So when you create a new bookshelf, for instance, and you hit the Save Design button, you will get that design sent to you via email, for instance. And that's going to be rendered in a higher quality, and it's also going to be a bigger image. But in that case, you don't need it as quick as possible. If it takes one minute until you get your email, that's tot totally fine. And we have a bunch of, of images that, that follow that, that pattern. So that, that led us to, to our next version of, of, of the infrastructure, uh, where we split the, the load depending on what kind of image do you want to generate. So on the, on, on the upper part, you, you have the, the rendering API, yeah, and, and that one is for uh, the configurators, so as, as quick as possible, less than two seconds, uh, as mentioned. And uh, since all the GPU machines on Amazon are using NVIDIA cards, we are using IRT for that. That's interactive ray tracing. It's, it's a rendering engine from, from NVIDIA. 
and then on, on, on the bottom, we have those images that if they take a one minute, two minutes, it's, it's, it's not an, uh, an issue. So those we were rendering with iRay. It's, uh, it's a better quality image. It's more photorealistic. It's also an, an, uh, a rendering engine from, from NVIDIA. And we were adding all those requests to an SQS queue and just consuming the jobs from, uh, from that queue. And that was also the time around when the P2 machines came in, uh, giving us a great uh, boost in, in, in terms of, of, of speed. Yeah. And, but we still had this issue of not being extremely efficient by, low, by uh, load balancing our, our traffic. We, we always had this problem of having a few machines idling around and, and others being uh, overused and, and, and doing many re renderings at, uh, at the same time. Um, so we added a new version of our infrastructure. And this is actually pretty close to what we have right now on, on our uh, website. So once the ALB came in, we finally got support for uh, WebSocket, and we got, could got rid of um, uh, the, the, the long polling strategy that, that we had at the, at the beginning. And we all, you can also see a, a, a small uh, speed improvement uh, with that. Uh, so what we are doing now is that we have a, an image broker, which is at, at the top, we call it the image broker. It's a, a bump server. Uh, that's a sub-protocol from, from uh, WebSocket when it's just a pop-sub uh, messaging um, pattern. So you subscribe to, to, to a certain image, um, and which is unique because of, of the hash that defines a, a design. So you, you can, by that, listen to every time a new image uh, is ready to be used, and, and, and then you, you, you have your um, progressive streaming of, of images. Um, <coughs> sorry. Then uh, we also add a queue inside of every um, machine. That, that, that's that purple squares in, inside our uh, auto-scaling group. Um, because we were trying to fight the situation of having idle machines and, and, and a few overused. So uh, what we realized once the, the, the P2 machines came in and, and running some benchmarks is that uh, running renderings on just one GPU instead of using all the available resources was at the end more efficient than uh, using them all. And, and, and then if, if a new request comes in, we, we just put it on top. And then we were actually rendering at the same time um, many images. Uh, for, for, the very, for, for the first user, th that user won't, won't really notice uh, a difference. But the second user, the third, and, and so on, they would pay a, a penalty uh, for being in this queue of, of running images uh, or generating images in, in, in parallel. Uh, so this allowed us um, to simplify even more our, our architecture. Um, what we were doing before is that we had a sticky connection to, to the server because uh, when you initialize your scene, you, you, you might want to, um, to load in memory all the textures and materials that you have, the, the, the light settings for, for your scene. And there are, there are a few things in, in this 3D world that, that don't change. Um, for, for instance, the, the floor. And on top of that, you, in our case, you, you, you put furniture. Uh, and, and, and that was forcing us that on every subsequent request, you were hitting the same machine, and the, the same GPU machine. And, and, and because of that, and, and having a high load of traffic, it, it's difficult to manage the sessions in, in an efficient way. So once the, the, the more powerful P2 machines came in with more cores and, and just being much faster than, than the G2 machines, we were just running every rendering on one single GPU. And, and, and then having this, this, this queue, uh, or this job queue on, on, for, for each machine, and we were also using that as a metric for CloudWatch to decide whether we want to scale up and, and, and down. And that was way more, uh, or it is way more efficient than using the NVSMI 
we just look at for how long a job has been in the queue, and based on that, we decide whether we scale up or, uh, or down. Uh, the lower part stayed the same. Th those are those kind of asynchronous images that you generate for, for marketing purposes, and you just consume the jobs from, from your SQS queue. Uh, I don't know if you noticed uh, at the beginning, but we, uh, I um, said that we had varnish uh, uh, in front of all of our machines and doing the routing and, and, and caching and, and, and so on. Um, once uh, AWS released Lambda at, at the edge, we were also able to get rid of uh, varnish. So less moving parts and, um, and yeah, we basically use uh, CloudFront uh, as, a, as a caching layer, which is also uh, extremely nice. And you keep the logic uh, inside of a Lambda function. Our stack is based on JavaScript, so you can just run JavaScript on, on Lambda functions, which is great uh, as well. Uh, so no need anymore for, for Vanish at, at that point. And this is what we're working right now uh, on. So it's e even more simple than uh, our current uh, infrastructure. Uh, what we realize is that after using existing rendering solutions, and, and in our case, um, IRA and IRT from NVIDIA, you, you reach a, a point where there are no more fine tunings in, in the configurations to get faster renderings. At the beginning, <clears throat> there are ma ma many things that, th that you can tweak, and you will see a high uh, difference, uh, a big difference in terms of, of speed and quality. Uh, but at the end, you follow the, the 80 20 rule. So uh, you, you reach a point where you, you spend a lot of time for the last 20% uh, uh, of, of improvements. So we decide that we will build our own rendering engine based on open projects uh, uh, from NVIDIA, since uh, AWS offers uh, NVIDIA graphic cards. And what we see now, and, and we call it mixed nice, um, is that we, we have a speed improvement from 5x, 7x, compared to our current solution. Um, because it's tailored just for, for our uh, use case. It's, it's a very simple uh, scene. You, you don't have many uh, objects on, on it. So, so we, can, we were able to kick out everything that it's not needed for, for us and just focus on that single furniture that we, we want to render. Um, AWS introduced the uh, network load balancer, which gives us support for HTTP2 push uh, for, for streaming of, of images. Um, we had to remove CloudFront uh, for, for now because sadly you, you have a limit in the size of your query. So query strings cannot exceed, not, not, not sure what, what's the max length, but, but basically we send over query strings the, the data structure that represents a specific furniture, and that's just longer than what, what's supported. Uh, so we're using Elastic Cache Redis um, to, to, to cache the, the, the images that, that we generate, and we sh uh, move from get request to, to post, so we don't have this uh, limitation. That's something that, that's going to change for, uh, uh, for sure soon. Uh, and, and, and then, we, yeah, we go back to get at CloudFront, and we can get rid of Redis. Um, <clears throat> so as I said, this is something we're working on, and. Uh, we, we hope to, to, to launch it soon and, and, and see this uh, amazing uh, improvement and, and, and speed and also quality of, of the images. And uh, so what have we learned over this process in, in, in the past three and a half years? Uh, aim for the best possible hardware. Uh, we realize that Amazon is constantly releasing new, new type of machines. Um, I said at the beginning, you, you had the G2 machines, then P2 came out, then G3, now you have P3 machines. Um, always test them, see what works best uh, for you. And in our case, right now, the P3 machines are, are the best uh, hardware to, to run our, our renderings, better than the G3. Uh, but that just depends on the, the, the renderer that, 
that you might be using. So test them all, benchmark, and, and see what works good for, for you, and also what makes sense in terms of, of pricing. Uh, don't be afraid to step deep into rendering topics. So uh, when we start, we try to use solutions out of the box and just fine-tuning a bit and, and, and see what we get out of that. And it was okay to, to have a, a running prototype and, and a proof of concept, but when you really want to get out every millis possible millisecond to, to, to improve the, the, the quality and the speed of your renderings, you, you really have to go deep in, in, in the topic and, and develop an understanding of how renderings in, in general work. So what, what is ray tracing? How, how does it uh, work and, and so, on, so on? How do you actually trigger renderings on, on a GPU level? What, what, what does it mean? Um, Always reevaluate your, your infrastructure. Uh, as I just showed you, we went through many versions uh, of, of uh, our infrastructure on uh, AWS. And, and there were actually a, a few steps in between. Uh, I, I did, it just would have been too long to, to, to show everything. Um, but since Amazon has a huge amount of, of services and there are always new services coming in, uh, th there's always something that can be improved, and there are always 100 ways to get to the same result. So um, at the beginning, just to have something up and running, because it's, it's, there is a business that, that, that you want to run and, and, and sell furniture, in, in our case, uh, getting to, to that point is, is, is totally valid, but once you, you are live and, and everything is on production, reevaluate what you have. Are there better ways to... To, to get to the same result in, in a faster way, cheaper way, more scalable. And, and there are just uh, tons of uh, services that, that, that will help you on, on, on that. Uh, keep most of the energy on, on, on the render. Uh, what I mentioned before, like this 80-20 this rule, um, it, it also applies to, to the hardware uh, aspect. Um, better machines, uh, better graphic cards, they do give you a, a, a nice boost in terms of performance, uh, but at the end, the, you, you will get the most out of uh, by fine-tuning and, and understanding how the rendering engine is, is working and, and, and tweaking it to just uh, fulfill uh, you, your needs more than just using bigger and, and faster machines. Um, at least for, for us, that's how, how it worked. Um, and then just stick to, to one uh, technology. Um, basically, it refers to all the, the, the previous points. Uh, always reevaluate uh, your infrastructure, look for better solutions, uh, other, other services. Because I said, that, that there are so many ways to, to get to the same result. Um, but uh, as also mentioned, GPU machines are expensive. So you want to make sure that you use them in a very efficient way, that you load balance your, your, your traffic very efficiently, and that you scale up and down accordingly to, to your traffic. Thank you very much.